Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good Monday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul off again this week. So Bernie is filling in 0818103103, taking the calls. And you can text or WhatsApp me here to the studio 0862103103. And I suppose the day after an All-Ireland final, even if we weren't in the final, we send our congratulations to our near neighbours at Limerick on uh, what was a fantastic win uh, for them. And it was a win that showed really the awesome of uh, this uh, team and already you can see the rumblings in the papers today and I've saw it online yesterday once the final whistle went there's already people starting to talk about the drive for five can I suggest don't get the t-shirts published uh, printed yet we've seen other counties uh, do that but they're already talking about the drive uh, for five and in fairness commiserations uh, to Kilkenny because Kilkenny they literally threw everything bar the kitchen sink at Limerick uh, but you know Limerick uh, they are a they're a juggernaut I mean that's how a lot of the commentators are uh, describing them and particularly in the fourth quarter of the match they really blew Kilkenny out of the water and, and as I say that awesomeness and that style of uh, play and the treaty supporters if you were watching it I mean it was a wet and a miserable day for hurling uh, for sure but by all accounts the treaty supporters outnumbered their counterparts heavily you could see that when watching it on the TV every time they panned over uh, to the to the attendance you could see there was a lot more uh, green uh, in the audience and seems limber fans had travelled in their droves for a chance to see their green army do what only two teams have previously done and that was achieve a four in a, a row. So could now 
could this be the team of all teams to go where no other hurling side has gone before by striving for that five in a row. We're going to have to have, we've a year to uh, wait, but looking at them yesterday on the pitch, they do look like a team that could do that uh, five uh, in uh, a row. Disappointment, though, I thought, particularly when I saw Marty Morrissey on the train travelling back with the Limerick uh, team. And it seems neither Kilkenny or Limerick overnighted uh, in Dublin. Variety of reasons are being put forward. Some are saying it's down to the availability of, of hotels. I mean, that banquet they used to always hold for years that was on in City West, obviously City West, is completely out of action for anything like that at the moment. But you would have many other hotels in Dublin, I, I would have thought, could have accommodated, accommodated them. But some people are lying or say, are saying as well, this is to do with affordability. Hotels in Dublin are simply too expensive. So the, the, the guys and gals from both Kilkenny and from Limerick decided, no, we'll get in the bus or we'll get in the train and we'll go home and we'll celebrate at home uh, instead. But that has Anne pondering this morning and wondering, will the Limerick team go back up to Dublin today because what happens the morning after the All All Ireland, and we would always see it on the news, there would be the traditional, you know, going in to see the children in uh, Crumlin Children's Hospital. And I wonder, will they go back up to Dublin to do that or not? Or is that a tradition that's also going to uh, go? We'll have to wait until later on on the news to see if they do it uh, or not. And uh, John says, uh, Patricia, hope we all had a nice weekend. It did, except for the wet weather. Anyway, John wants to say well done to Limerick uh, yesterday he just can't believe the difference between them uh, after half time when they came back out with all guns blazing I mean was that a lot to do with the pep talk I don't know but John says the Cats will be back again next year but leaving all that aside he said it was a great game of uh, hurling yeah and there's nothing like a good All-Ireland final hurling match. It's just the excitement of it uh, is incredible. So if you are listeners, and I know we do have a number of listeners across the border in Limerick, congratulations, no doubt still celebrating and smiling this morning. And all of the papers are awash with all of the green of uh, Limerick. And then the other photographs that are very much dominating the papers today are to do with the wildfires going on in Greece, especially on the island of uh, roads. I'm told that up to 750 Irish tourists are currently on the Greek island of uh, Rhodes. Now it's the south of the island is the, is the part of Rhodes that's enveloped in wildfires and a number of tourists have, have, to, have had to be evacuated. It's gone into thousands of tourists have been evacuated from their hotels. From an Irish point of view it's the hotel operator Tui. Now we know that there's Ryanair flights as well but the package holidays is TUI and they've cancelled flights and holidays to the island up to and including tomorrow and they're very much doing it as a wait and see what is happening on the on the island of Rose but anyway flights for today and for tomorrow have been uh, cancelled now Ryanair say all their flights to and from Rhodes they're currently operating as normal and they've been unaffected the flights have been unaffected by the forest uh, fires they uh, said that the Greek Ministry of Foreign Affairs have also 
stepped up a help desk at Rhodes Airport to assist visitors who have lost their travel documents and um, Ryanair say they will accept temporary travel documents which are going to be issued by the Greek police because obviously if people fled their hotel and got out they weren't exactly going to the safe to get their passports uh, out and many people are simply just trying to get cancelling their holidays and they just want to to come home. Now the fires are affecting the south east part of the island. Most of the Irish holiday makers, certainly the ones with TUI, are in the north where the airport and the port are uh, located. But the Department of Foreign Affairs say they have been contacted by Irish nationals who have been affected by the wildfires. So it's not to say that none of the Irish are affected uh, by it. The wildfires it seems have caused road closures. There's extensive damage being done to properties, particularly in the centre of the island. And that's the reason that so many areas have had to be, have, have been evacuated. Now, Department of Foreign Affairs are saying to Irish citizens, they're advised to be alert, to stay away from the affected areas and to move rapidly out of any area that can very quickly and very suddenly get uh, affected. Uh, Department of Foreign Affairs saying it is an evolving situation and the citizens should comply with any evacuation orders and to follow any instructions from the emergency and uh, local authorities on uh, the ground. And as I say, the bulk of the Irish over there don't really seem to be affected. They're on a different part of the island. But I did see online a woman from County Meath who claimed she had travelled from Dublin to Rhodes on Saturday uh, with that TUI tour operator. And she said they didn't give them any warning of wildfires and she had to be evacuated. She said, we were put on a plane from Dublin to Rhodes on Saturday uh, without any mention of an evacuation taking place. She says, we are now in Rhodes in a school with no water or a working bathroom facility, no communication um, as to when and where we are to go and the reps have little or no information. Now, she did say that the local people were being amazing and helpful and kind and they're providing them with food and uh, water as well as lifts to the local centre to get uh, taxis and they very much appreciate that. So that was a um, a woman from Meath taking to uh, to social media to complain even though I would have to question her saying that they didn't uh, tell us. I mean if she travelled on Saturday it was all over the news and you would, I think especially if you were going somewhere, would you not be yourself keeping up to date on exactly what part of the islands are affected? How close are we going to be to any of the fires that are there at the moment? You know, I'd be doing a little bit of my own homework. I don't know if I would be relying on a tour operator or if I would be relying on an airline to tell me what the situation is in the country I'm travelling to. And Morris says, Patricia, I'm finding it very hard to have any sympathy for what I can only describe as mindless Irish tourists in Greece and particularly on the island of uh, Rhodes. Some flew out last Saturday night like that lady and there's an article in uh, today's Irish Times where they're talking about the people that went on Saturday did they not see the news all last week what exactly were they expecting their situation was so predictable surely common sense would prevail and plans would change firefighters are risking their lives trying to put out these wildfires and then they've got to uh, evacuate what Maura describes as whining tourists we all heard the awful story of Zoe Coolahan, whose husband died in a similar wildfire on their honeymoon in Greece. That was about five years ago. And uh, Zoe wrote a, a book since that was the most horrific uh, story. And they didn't go out to the Greek islands 
expecting uh, wildfires. They were on holidays when those fi- when those fires then they were a day or two into their honeymoon when the fire broke out and they were staying in a villa and they just got completely surrounded by fire. They were up in a, a mountain area. That was a dreadful, dreadful story. But yeah, I know what you're saying. There has been warnings uh, before. And then I saw this morning, this is kind of breaking this morning, while we know what's going on in roads and the uh, fires continue to go on in roads and now we have tens of thousands of people uh, flying, um, are being evacuated from the island of uh, Rhodes. But now two and a half thousand people have been evacuated from it is a very popular Greek island of uh, Corfu. Uh, wildfires broke out there overnight and there is another at the island of Evia. It's another Greek island. They've issued evacuation orders as well and uh, the Greek authorities are battling with this series of wildfires. And, you know, I have to say, uh, I kind of, I do agree with more and her comment about why, you know, why why would you go out there? I know for you, as, as I mentioned too, we have cancelled uh, flights for yesterday and uh, for today and tomorrow and, and then they'll assess again on uh, Wednesday. But I, I would be thinking as well, are, are the, the fact that people are saying, oh, well, look, I've got my holiday booked, I'm going to go out and, and, you know, hopefully it'll be OK. But are they not putting pressure on these small islands, which are already really, really struggling at the moment, particularly these evacuation shelters that they have put up, they've opened up schools. So they're already under pressure looking after their own, you know, the the people who live on these islands. And then you've got all the tourists on top. It's it's a it's a big, big ask for some of these very, very small uh, communities. 0818 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Thank you to a gentleman who will remain nameless who sent in a lovely text uh, to say he has spent the last two months on stress leave from work. Sorry to hear that. And uh, he sent in a lovely text to say he's been enjoying listening to the programme and it's actually helped him to get himself back to himself. Thrilled to hear that. That has made my Monday and uh, continued good health to you. So many people, unfortunately, uh, coming down with uh, stress. I think particularly since the pandemic, it is stress and anxiety has really, really uh, been on the rise. So look after yourself and uh, good to have you along. 0818103103 on uh, Limerick. Mick says it's a very good Limerick uh, team, but Mick says they've been helped a bit along the way. They've had luck in games helped by refereeing decisions but they could be a team who will create more records well they'll certainly do a big big record next year if they managed to do the five in a row they would be the first team ever uh, to do it and someone says pity the team went back to the hotel so late on Sunday night because the Sunday game wasn't the same. There was no atmosphere. Now, I didn't see the, the Sunday game, but I take it what you're saying. It was flat because normally they'd go back and you'd see the winning team and all of the excitement back at the uh, hotel. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. Court today on C103. Now, at a recent pre-budget forum hosted by the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, Age Action asked the government to consider raising the contributory old age pension by 30 years euro a week in next year's budget to explain more. I'm joined by Nat O'Connor and Nat is the policy uh, specialist with Age Action. Good morning to you Nat. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now why do you believe the state pension should rise by 30 euro a week? Right well it's the simple story here is inflation. Uh, As we all know uh, we had a, a long period of no inflation up until about the year 2020 and then, of course, following the events, the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the price of oil and gas and so on, we've had a surge of inflation. And so what that means is that the spending power uh, of money has gone down. 
So if you had a hundred euro in 2020, um, it would obviously buy you hundred euro worth of goods and services. But today, it would only buy you about eighty-six euro worth of goods and services. And next year, it'll be eighty-four. So there's been a, a cumulative inflation of nearly well, over nineteen percent uh, over the four years. Now, of course, we're projecting forward. But these are the latest projections that there'll be five percent inflation this year, three percent next year. So it hasn't gone away. And what that means is that for someone who's on the state pension this year, they have nineteen euro forty cent a week less spending power than they would have had in twenty twenty. Wow! And, 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 it, and yeah, and it's really not are, are that cohort of people who solely depend on the state pension. They're the ones really being affected the most. Absolutely, we know that for many many older people, the state pension is their main income or their only income. Uh, some people have a small pension, occupational pension that might go on top of it, but we know that the state pension is really essential. And of course, if, if, if what we're asking with €30 Euro a week is simply to have the same spending power that the pension had in 2020. It's just a standstill. So it can sound like an awful lot of money, mm. but then again, we've had an awful lot of inflation. So inflation, I, if you like, it's like a taxation. It's like they've increased taxes by two or three or four points and that money is gone. And so, we, you know, we need the €30 Euro a week to, just to put that back. Yeah, yeah. As you say, just to stay where they were in uh, 2020. And I assume an older person living alone, would they be at even higher risk of poverty? Well, that's a separate thing. Even before all this began, obviously there were, unfortunately, older people who were at risk of poverty or who experienced deprivation. But since 2020, we've seen the numbers spike. So we now have a situation where you know, one in six older people is at risk of poverty. Um, one in 30 is in consistent poverty. Uh, so that's 3.3% of all older people. And we know the numbers are much higher for people living alone. So there's a much greater risk. It's a one in three chance of someone living alone is at risk of poverty, which is to say they just have a very low income yeah. uh, to meet their needs week by week. And so, you know, we, we would like to see the living alone increase go up by at least €8. Euro. Uh, it's currently €22 euro a week extra people get because we know that you know poverty is concentrated among people living alone. Yeah, because well, you, you think about things like, you know, the house still has to be heated, you know, the lights have to be switched on, the gas bills have to be paid, the house insurance, you know, all the other bills that even if you had two old age pensioners living together and you had the two pensions coming into the house, whereas the person next door has only the one income coming in, you know, it really, really is hard for them. Absolutely. I mean, we know that obviously when you have, when you, have you know, you go from a situation where you have two incomes down to one when someone is widowed or, or bereaved, um, then it's a huge loss of income because they have to keep exactly the same house, keep the radiators on, keep the lights on. Yeah. And so uh, what we saw last year was that the fuel allowance became more easily available yeah. uh, for, for both couples and people living alone. But we'd like to see the eligibility increased for people living alone to, to have an income threshold move from €500 Euro to €700 Euro, just to make it that bit easier for people living alone to get the, the new over 70 fuel allowance. But if people haven't got it, you know, certainly they should look at it because couples on a thousand euro or less a week are entitled down to the over 70 fuel allowance. So it's means tested based on your income and your savings. And likewise, people living alone uh, can get the, the new over 70 fuel allowance. So that's something we sought and we think it's very important that people, you know, avail of these. Uh, yeah, and, yeah and, and I know when the, the changes came in at the start of the year, I was constantly emphasising to people, you need to apply for it. Well, this is it. I mean, it's, it's, it's well worth uh, getting on to your local uh, social welfare office or citizen information office and finding out what you might be entitled for yeah. uh, and, and going for those entitlements.
Yeah. Now, the forum that I mentioned where you where you brought up this suggestion of 30 euro uh, per week, it was I think there was over 60 organisations and, and community groups uh, attended and, and spoke with the minister. Do you feel you got a good hearing from Minister Heather Humphreys? I think in fairness, the Department of Social Protection does uh, listen. Um, they hold a number of events throughout the year and there's opportunities to send in submissions, which we do. And there's opportunities to talk to officials as well as to to, to the minister to put questions and to, and to get her answers. So I, I think in fairness, we, we get a good hearing. I think the difficulty is the wider, a lot of decisions are made in the Department of Public Spending or Public Expenditure uh, and indeed the Department of Finance um, you know, about the overall amount of money available and where the government's putting its priorities. Because um, what, what we want to see is that the state pension will be indexed. It should automatically go up uh, on, a, on a yearly basis based on average earnings in the economy and based on inflation. Because it shouldn't be a political question if we budget will we or won't we see an increase in pension. Most European countries, there's an automatic indexation. So people have security, a peace of mind. They know the pension will go up as those you know, earnings go up in the economy and with inflation. And we know that you know, there will be some uh, an input brought from the Department of Social Protection, so from uh, Minister Heather Humphreys. She's bringing an input to the government about this, but it will be up to the, the whole government, and in particular the, the finance departments, uh, to, to decide whether or not they, they allow this. And it's something we think is very important. We also know, Nash, that the Exchequer is awash uh, with money thanks to corporation and thanks to tax uh, receipts. Are, are you looking for any of those one-off bonus payments that the government gave in last year's budget? Well, I think the, 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 our focus is very much on the core income because people welcomed the one-off payments. They had the big bills at the time. But, of course, that money is now gone uh, for most people. Whereas your weekly expenses are still there, many older people have to heat their house throughout the year because you know they feel the cold. They need to keep their houses warm. So if you can get the core income up, then you know that's that's our priority. Obviously, if the government is not going to give us thirty euro a week on the state pension, then you know maybe that could be compensated for by a one-off payment. But you know ultimately the 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 focus needs to be on the core payment because. You know, the government sets itself up for a fall every time it gives out a one-off payment because it only lasts for one year. Mm. And the gap keeps widening between the cost of living and the rate of the state pension then year on year. Yeah, and, you know, we're starting to, people are starting to get, you know, the summer electricity bills, which are which are really, really high, uh, even for people who are really mindful of how much electricity they're using. But that's, of course, is down to how much our electricity and our, the gas bills are high as well. It's, it's how much we're being charged. And that you, the government ministers constantly tell people that if you're in difficulty with paying uh, your bill, um, that to contact your, you know, your local community welfare officer uh, for help, do you find many older people don't do that? Well, it's certainly an issue that people might not feel that it's for them or they might feel worried about it, but they can contact the local, um, as you say, community welfare or social welfare officer. There's something called the additional needs payment um, that people can apply for. And, and it is, you know, it's there for people when they're, in, when they're in need. It is means tested, so they look at your income and they look at your savings. But at the same time, it's something that people should apply for. Uh, and it's there to sort of to fill that gap, if you like. Yeah. OK, and very finally, listen says, could you ask Nash from Age Action why carers don't get fuel allowance and is that something he'd advocate for? Uh, certainly, that came up at the Social Inclusion Forum, absolutely, that carers should get uh, fuel allowance and indeed other people because it, it makes a huge difference. Um, you know, carers are likewise, you know, unable to go out and work in the economy. They're on a similar low income to a pensioner, absolutely should get fuel allowance. Yeah. 
for sure. Okay, listen, Nat, we leave it there and uh, we will wait to see uh, with the announcement of the budget in October. But thank you for joining us and talking to us on the programme. Thanks very much indeed. Good morning to you, Nat O'Connor there, a policy specialist with Age Action with a call for the state pension to go up by at least €30 per week when the budget gets announced in October. 0818 103 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. Bantry General Hospital is in a race against the clock if it is to proceed with a badly needed new rehabilitation unit at the hospital. Calling on the Minister for Health to urgently intervene is West Cork Independent All Deputy Michael Collins who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. I suppose for people outside the area, just fill people in on the background to this uh, unit. Now, this project is well past design and tender stage, isn't it? It is, um, and you know, when it usually a project when it it, it passes design tender stage, then the, the next, uh, I suppose, is almost shovel ready as such. Uh, the next thing is they need funding for to build the rehabilitation unit. Um, I suppose. Look, my involvement goes back to 2014 since I entered into politics. Rehabilitation was was a huge issue in Bankshire Hospital. Uh, the unit there is, you know, outdated as as units uh, happen to be, and there isn't enough uh, space for patients. So there was a desperate need for a rehabilitation unit, and it's something I raised on numerous occasions in 2017. Minister at that time, Simon Harris, came to Bantry, and he announced that uh, the endoscopy unit, the rehabilitation units would be uh, commenced immediately, given, given, we'd say, about two years, I'd say, before build. Where that was 17, we're now at 2023. Uh, Minister Donnelly came uh, to Bantry General Hospital and uh, West Cork, uh, a number of weeks ago, and he made it very clear to them that um, there will be uh, no funding uh, in this calendar year uh, for the rehabilitation unit in Bantry General Hospital. And that's a hammer blow for, for the whole... Yeah, because, you know, as you say, we, you've gone past planning, you've gone past design. You've, I mean, I, I take it at this stage as a contractor ready to go. There is, and, and, and of course, now there's a huge worry if this delay will force the project, we say, to undergo a, a time-consuming process of retendering again. There's also the possi- quite a, a strong possibility that the delay would potentially, we say, inflate the budget costs, because that's unfortunately the way things go with construction recently, which could end up costing the exchequer uh, lot, a lot more money, maybe even up to two million after extra. So, like, this is a penny-wise and a pound-foolish move, and I can't understand why the minister made this decision. I, I really am dumbfounded, to be quite honest with you, because the rehabilitation is such a, you know, it's such a huge area from, uh, you know, Shannon can see it, back into abandoned tranquility, back up into Castletown Bear and the Mizzenhead and in between, and, and, and she said, but what I can't understand is why take it so far and no... And then stop. And it's then almost, stop. And did the minister say why the money would not be available in this calendar year? Well, unfortunately, I wasn't privy to that meeting. Ministers come, they tend to, to, to stick to their own flock as such, uh, Patricia, and they had a meeting with the hospital, but it has, uh, it has come from within the hospital. And I've got a lot of criticism down through the years for me fighting for services in Bantry General Hospital. And I, I will never, while well, I'm an elected representative, will never give up fighting for those services. So much so that on Saturday, the 24th of June, uh, in the Southern Stars, uh, Senator Tim Lumbert said that Michael Collins is spreading misinformation about the local, Bantry local hospitals. That's just going good and everything's perfect. 
that's a shocking uh, decision made by that senator to accept that we are now in a situation, and that's why, because we continue, Patricia, to accept second best in relation to our rehabilitation unit, in relation to our South docks, in relation to our doctor services in rural Ireland. We kind of give in and say, if anybody makes any noise about them, oh, they're totally wrong, they, shouldn't keep, they should keep their mouth closed. But this is a terrible situation that the people of West Cork face now. We're, we're, can it kick down the road? There's no guarantee it's going to be next year. But I just uh, what I and how much how, currently? How much is it expected to cost? It's going to run into millions. Yes, there's no doubt about that. But okay. my God, in comparison to when you look at the, the children's hospital, the whole ground that's running into it, or yeah, it's going to yeah, run into and, millions. And, over, and, over. And, and I think you're right to highlight if you delay the work because building costs are rising all the time. Obviously, it is going to get more expensive. So it's all the more important on these projects as soon yes. as they are shovel ready, get in there. But, 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 but could they not give some money to start it? You don't need all the money the up point. front. And that's the point I was just going to make, Patricia. Even if they gave partial funding yeah. this year, partial funding would have started the process because this is a shovel ready project and then it could have held it to a certain point. I see that in local hospitals. Ourselves and James O'Reilly was, was, was Minister at the time. He gave partial funding to Skull Community Hospital. He came back at a later stage and gave the rest of the funding and it's now probably the number one community hospital in Ireland. But so like that's what the Minister I felt should have done. I'm, I'm absolutely getting so worried about teachers and ministers coming to uh, coming to West Cork because every time they come usually when a minister or a teacher comes it's to an announcement but sadly when they go away we found out the, the real facts and the real facts that it's bad news for the local community because there's some project that was going ahead now seems to be stalled and the rehabilitation unit is, 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 is so neat Talk and, and about we, talk to me a bit about the rehabilitation uh, unit and if it was up and running the work that it would do and why it's important well, you see, I suppose number one, you know, it's mainly obviously for stroke victims, and 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 unfortunately, uh, you know, we're in this country, we we tend to put a lot of investment into preventative strokes, and that's very very important. But unfortunately, people tend to get strokes, and mm-hmm. it, and it's uh, it's the rehabilitation unit has been superb, you know, in in bringing people back to their as good as you could maybe get people. People need time. To rehabilitate, and, and, and I'm picking mainly the stroke. There's other rehabilitations as well, but mainly the stroke, especially. It, it takes a, a length of time, and you have the professionalism. If you have the right equipment, if you have the right uh, surrounds, you will bring a lot of patients back to good health. Um, and it's, it and can be the difference between somebody leading, going back to leading a very independent life, as opposed to somebody who may need full time care. Absolutely, you know, and, and that's people have their faculties about them Patricia that's what people long for is to be able to go back and to be able to have, live their life in, in, in a normal way sometimes not fully normal like they did but certainly in, in, in a far more uh, more 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 advanced way than maybe they would have been without, without rehabilitation. proper rehabilitation yeah. and I don't I think that's like there's rehabilitation units and new ones built all over the country and why is this not being afforded to the people of West Cork Bantry General Hospital has a huge catchment huge huge catchment and we need and I need I need all the politicians to be behind me on this it's no point in I shouting and others shouting that everything's okay it's fine say nothing and hopefully it'll all go away that's not the way it's going to work Patricia and I, and I, it's, I believe do you know I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated with this story because we are awash with money and these are the exact projects that if they, there's extra money in the exchequer, these are the exact projects that we should be investing in and investing in, in them now while the money is available. Because long term, it'll give such a benefit to the area. It 
Kings and, and, and you know every day of the week we open the paper we've been told there's more money and plenty of money plenty will be available but when a minister comes to your constituency you would expect that he would I, I hate to say sprinkle some of that money around but give it to the services that are desperately needed and the, the rehabilitation unit in Bantry is desperately needed and in this case he came uh, met with them and said no money is available now I've called for the Minister, first of all, to reverse his decision. Number one, to give partial funding if he can't give all the funding. Number two, I want the Minister to, to meet with uh, myself. I sent a request to Minister Feld to meet with myself and those in Pantry Hospital who are uh, who, who have um, direct, uh, I suppose, work in relation to rehabilitation units. I've also written to the teacher, Cleo Varadka, and the Tarnish, Mion Martin, to make sure that this funding is immediately released. It can happen. There is money in the budget. We're being told this every day of the week, and now all of a sudden, when it comes to West Cork, it's no longer available. How are the medical profession and how are the people in the hospital reacting to this, uh, Michael? They must be really annoyed. They're angry. They're very, are very they? frustrated yeah. because they felt, you know, it was within reach. Um, and, it, like, everything takes, for some reason, everything takes six, seven, eight years extra down here compared to other uh, hospitals in other parts of the country. But speaking to the medical professionals here in Bantry General Hospital and the people, we say the doctors and surrounds that feed into the Bantry General Hospital, there's a great frustration here in relation to the rehabilitation unit. There are other frustrations also, but in relation to this unit, I think they felt it was so close. They felt the minister was going to come down make this crucial announcement. And Even the work they would, would have begin. Prob- probably been a bit frustrated if he didn't give it all, but if at least he gets something to get the project off the ground, get the blocks building, that's what people do. And it's the same at the endoscopy unit. There is progress in the endoscopy unit. There's not, I'm not going to say there isn't, but I have often said inside the door between the endoscopy unit and the rehabilitation unit, if I got a, a block built every time I spoke about it, we'd have fabulous facilities in Bantry yeah, General and Hospital. I mean, people in Mallow will know the endoscopy unit opened at Mallow General Hospital and it is invaluable. I mean, there's people travelling from the city come come to Mallow uh, in order to use the endoscopy suite there. And actually, Tom is in Bantry, says, could you ask Michael while, while you have him on, what about an MRI uh, scanner? When is one going to be put in Bantry? Tom recently had to go to Cork for an MRI uh, scan. He said there were other people on the bus going for scans as well. He said it's 60 miles to Cork and 60 miles back again. Think of the carbon footprint. We're all meant to be uh, reducing our carbon footprint. An MRI machine for Bantry. I, I, I fully understand uh, what Tom is saying because would you believe Patricia, I've had to send people up to Belfast from, from West Cork uh, for an MRI that they can't get done here in, in, obviously it's not in it, you know, it's not up and, and running to the perfection that it needs to be in Bantridge and Hospital but the ones in CUH are, it must be overcrowding or what people are waiting weeks and months uh, in a desperate need for an MRI and I have to send them to Belfast and that's not what I want to do I always try and we always fight for the local services to, to be delivered locally but unfortunately well, particularly I, for I, a I scan think, yes but Patricia Bantry General Hospital is a fabulous hospital the management the staff there are top class but it can, there's so many more things that can be uh, run out of Bantry General Hospital and Mellow that people won't need to go to CUH and yeah. uh, to an overcrowded and uh, so not CUH that's people filtering in from all over Munster. funneling so, everybody into to CUH. And just, can I also just say, we spoke last week about this Southstock service and it was mainly to do with the North Cork area and people uh, concerned about that red-eye service from uh, 10 o'clock until 8 in, in the morning. And I'm after getting an email in that I'll get to later on in the programme to do with South Talk service in in West Cork. What's your view on, on South Talk in, in West Cork? And the... Well, the problem we have, uh, Patricia, between ambulance service and South Talk service, we have, we have people that are willing to run the service, but the services are 
are, are being scaled down uh, dramatically and people are finding it difficult to access a soap dock. Um, I've had people bringing me to help them to access a soap dock service in, in different parts of West Cork. There is a very strong rumour that uh, services in Skibbereen are going to be withdrawn. I can be very close eye on that. I don't want to be making too much noise holding until I can, uh, unless, uh, un- uh, unless it can prove that it's going to happen. It'll be a big hammer blow to the people of Skibbereen that surrounding area if they scale down the soap dock services in, 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 in Skibbereen or anywhere else in West Cork because the population is rising. Uh, we've seen that in the, in the last census. Um, but the problem is people are waiting uh, for, for an ambulance. I spoke, spoke to a colleague of yours there uh, recently, John Green, had a very tra- tragic situation where he waited an hour Yeah, actually, for an it's, it's, it's John has sent in, has actually sent in a, a, like a, a really, really good, strong uh, email. Uh, and he's talking about that, about the wait for an ambulance. But he was talking about the South Stock service as well. Is it almost impossible to get a, um, a South Stock? Well, when I was uh, speaking with Fiona, Dr. Fiona Kelly recently, and I asked her what's the situation in relation to South Dock here, yeah. and she said, "Well, I'm spending trying to spend two nights to cover here, so she's spending her day working and she's spending her nights covering South Dock. So, uh, like in areas like Castle Tumbe or in areas like that, you, you, the problem is whether it's an ambulance service or South Dock service. Even this evening, I'm going up to Castle Tumbe to meet with the coaction, the people that have uh, intellectual disabilities, they can't get a transport service to Bantry." For some reason, politicians out there accept second best, and it's not the case. It shouldn't be. And people will love to come to areas like Alleys and Irees and the Mizzen Head and all these places, but they have always these concerns. Why are we waiting an extra hour for an ambulance? Why are we waiting for a South Dock? We don't have a South Dock service unless it comes up from Bantry. It's crazy. And we're in the holiday season as well, so we have a lot of tourists, so the population goes up as well. Listen, uh, Michael, I know it's an issue we'll return to, but in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining thank you, us. Uh, good morning to you. Somebody says uh, the reason that Minister Donnelly doesn't have the money for Bantry, he's paying for the Children's Hospital in Dublin. That's the one that... Uh, Counts. It's typical rural Ireland never seems to feature when they're giving out money. And hi, uh, Patricia, and how right Deputy Michael Collins is about the rehab unit in Bantry. My mum was given five extra years of mobility from the care given to her at that Bantry rehab uh, unit. We have a Dunleary type care here in Bantry where they perform miracles and ageism is non-existent. Isn't that fantastic to hear? God bless them. And may this unit come as quickly as possible, please, in Bantry, servicing uh, the people of West Cork. 0818 103 103. At the start of the programme, I was talking about the All-Ireland final yesterday and how both teams got on trains and buses and just went home. And it's got a lot to do with the availability of hotels to host that, the winner's banquet, which is normally always hosted in Dublin. And the following morning, before they head home to their respective counties, go and visit the Children's Hospital with the trophies. It happens after the football final as well, so I don't know if Limerick are going back up uh, to do that this morning or not. But Michael in Ochnahini says with all of the money that the GAA have, I, uh, Michael wonders, have they ever thought about building their own hotel in Dublin? And that hotel then could be used by fans and uh, players and it could be used uh, all year round uh, as well. But have they ever considered that? I don't know. If the GAA want to go into the 
hoteling, hotelier business or not. But it certainly it would make money for them for sure. That's from Michael in Knocknaheeny. Thanks for your call, Michael, to 0818103103. Let's now, as I mentioned in the last hour, Europe are very much struggling with this intense uh, heat wave and there's another heat wave expected this week across uh, many parts of Europe. And while that's uh, going on and all those devastating wildfires back here at home, some would say, oh, it's business as usual, is it? Where we're set to get yet more rain with the possibility of flooding. Met Aaron are already forecasting that the weather is going to become more unsettled. From around the middle of this week, they're predicting widespread rain and that will lead to the chance of some localised uh, flooding because yesterday uh, council crews, business people and homeowners were counting the cost of flash floods, flooding that happened in County Donegal. They hit uh, Rathfoe and Castle Finn on Saturday night into Sunday morning and I saw some of the video footage of it. My goodness, it was like particularly in uh, Rathfoe in County Donegal, it looked like a river was running down through one of their streets. Now it seems between 30 and 50 millimetres of rainfall was recorded at weather stations last week but it was higher especially in parts of Donegal at the weekend. Now today we are getting a bit of a reprieve and there's a bit of a break from the very wet conditions that we endured over the weekend but unfortunately according to Met Aaron there's another low pressure system which is going to come close to Ireland. Now it will arrive possibly tomorrow night and into Wednesday. And Met Aaron says it looks like we'll be back to another style of wet, breezy weather from uh, Wednesday. And most of the data in Ireland uh, so far have recorded record rainfall levels that are higher than the long-term average for, for July. And there's another o- over a week to go in July. So Met Aaron saying it's been a wet month and it has definitely been wetter than normally. Will it ever stop raining, I hear you cry. 0818103103. Now, I want to bring you an email that I received this morning and it's actually from one of our own. It's from John Green. John Green will be well known uh, to listeners. He presents because the highly popular uh, Sunday morning show to uh, West Cork while John Paul uh, is broadcasting to uh, North Cork and parts of the city. Uh, but it, John is well known right across the city and county for his Where the Road Takes Me uh, programme. So anyway, he and funny enough, when I was speaking with uh, Deputy Michael Collins in the last hour, he referenced John Green that John had been in and, and has been speaking with Michael Collins because unfortunately it's to do with the passing of John's uh, much-loved partner, Rose. And he writes in his email, On June 26th last, just a few short weeks ago, Rose, my beloved partner of 20 years, died suddenly while we were away on the first night of a week's holiday in Castletown Bear. As well as being my partner, Rose was my soulmate and my best friend. It would be rare to have seen one of us without the other. To say that we're all struggling to come to terms with a loss that has left a huge void in our lives would be an immense understatement. Having called an ambulance and having had to perform CPR on Rose while I waited an hour for an ambulance to arrive in Castletown Bear, I discussed it later with my own doctor and asked, had I done the right thing 
would I not have been better off to have called Southstock? To which she replied, John, you would have been wasting your time as there's no Southstock service in Beira. It was a draw-dropping moment. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. A large peninsula, parts of which are remote and a two and a half hour drive to Cork University Hospital. What chance does a person in Alahis or Iris Village or Dursey Island or Bear Island stand to, to have their life saved if they suffer for, from an instant cardiac arrest? A lot of money is spent at present in making people familiar with the visible and initial signs that when a person is suffering a stroke and the importance of getting them to the hospital as quickly as possible. While the former is, of course, important, the latter doesn't seem to be very important in the minds of the HSE. If you live in Beira and become ill out of hours, actually, it seems as if you're not supposed to be sick out of hours if you live on the Beira Peninsula. The suits in Dublin are playing Russian roulette with people's lives in order to save money. Back in the 18th and 19th centuries, a doctor rode on a horseback late into the night to attend to his or her patient. But we seem to have been dragged backwards since then by a government that are as far removed from the people as Beira is from Cork University Hospital. Most people, including myself, have no problem with the staff of the ambulance service. They are thoroughly professional, helpful, sympathetic and dedicated to their jobs. It's the complete lack of resources that are confronted with as they attempt to carry out their work to the best of their ability. I cannot help myself thinking constantly that if Rose had got immediate attention, would she be alive today? Perhaps having to wait an hour for an ambulance that eventually did come, but it had to come from Kenmare in County Kerry. In the case of Rose and myself, we were less than 200 yards from a hospital and one mile from the town of Castletown Bear, the largest whitefish port in the country. Its population is growing and becoming more cosmopolitan by the day, as is the Beira Peninsula overall. Yet it is deemed not important enough to serve with a proper South Stock service. Welcome to Beira. Please try not to get sick out of hours if you can. God, it's such it's a heartbreaking uh, e- uh, email in so many ways. And, and once again, can we send our deepest, deepest sympathies uh, to John on the loss of his uh, beloved Rose? And it's it's awful when you lose a loved one like that and then going through the what if, what if, what if, which so many people go to when a loved one uh, dies uh, suddenly. But it does. We, we do seem to have a problem with uh, the South Stock service. We discussed it at length last week on the programme when we were talking about the North uh, Cork area and so many people made that very point about, oh God, don't get sick out of hours because we were talking about the red-eye service, those hours between 10 at night and 8 in the morning and unfortunately that was the time. It was during that period of time that John's Rose uh, became unwell. Uh, but then to have to wait an hour for an ambulance and frantically trying to do CPR, it really is its a dreadful, dreadful thing to ask of uh, anyone. But the whole South Stock service does it just all have to, they need to go back to the drawing board and look at it uh, again. And does it all go back to the fact that we don't have enough GPs and yet we've GPs from outside Ireland willing to come here to work. But we know the last time we looked into that, they were tied up with paperwork and the length of time it was taking to get 
get all the paperwork uh, processed. Uh, we seem to be great at doing anything when it comes to form filling and the computer says, no, I know you didn't dot that I, oh, you forgot to cross that T, oh, I need that information. No, you need to send that back into us again. It just seems to be endless. There's got to be a solution to this. 0818103103. Bernie is taking your calls. C103 Jobs. Electricians are wanted for a large project in Ringeskiddy. Now, a valid safe pass and craft certification are essential. And a site administrator is also wanted to work. This time it's in Glanmire. You, for any of those positions, email jobs at habitantfrench.com. Construction worker wanted for general concrete and machinery driving. That's in the Canturk area. Call 086 417-9350. A caretaker is wanted for Dramina GAA field and grounds. Now it is a community employment uh, position and you can get further details by emailing Evelyn O'Keefe and Evelyn's email address is evelynoakeefe at dealvalley.ie and the Wild Pine restaurant in Butterland. They're looking for a part-time relief chef now it's to cover holidays and it'll be mainly Saturday and Sunday work. Uh, email CVs, please, to emma.quaid2005 at hotmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Now, if, like me, you're always on the lookout for a good holiday read, then my next guest's book might be one that you may consider. Angie Rowe is a retired librarian who started writing fiction back in 2017. And the seventh... Passenger is her first published printed novel and believe me it is a real, real page turner and I'm delighted to say Angie Rowe uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to Angie. Good morning Patricia. And How I, are you? I'm very well and I have to start by saying that I, I, I only got this book on Friday. Bernie who's producing had already read it and said great read so I said okay I'll take it home for the weekend expecting to say to you I'm sorry but I haven't finished the book have to say, I binge read your book and stayed up until the very small hours of Saturday morning because I couldn't put the book down. It is oh. fantastic. I loved it from start to finish. And it was one of those books when I was finished, I was going, oh no, I wish I hadn't finished it so quick. Anyway, I'm a huge fan of anything to do with the Titanic. So you had me literally from page one. I want to take you back because I believe you came up with the idea for the story because of a visit to Cove. Tell me about that. Yes, myself and my husband were in Cove and went into the Titanic experience in the White Star Line building, which is fantastic, as you probably know. Yes. And uh, going in, I didn't think I was really going to learn much more because there's been so much written about the Titanic and there's been dramas and films and books. But the tour guide said, that seven first-class passengers had disembarked at Cove, which I didn't know. Um, the first was Father Francis Brown, you know, photographer. And thankfully then, he did get off because of all thank- of his pictures. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Uh, there was a family of five, the Odell May family from London, had come over for a motor holiday, no less. And the seventh passenger, the tour guide said, it's a bit of a mystery because we really don't know much about her. 
Her name was Emily Nichol, and she's from London, but she really, um, we really don't know much about her at all. So that piqued my interest straight away. So that was the start of my my search. So for, you uh, you decided to invent what you believed possibly happened yes. to, 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 yes. and that's and that basically is is what the book is all about now as I mentioned in the introduction you are a former librarian as yes. a librarian I mean obviously I just think God what a gorgeous job you're surrounded by books even though you know I think in our fantasy world we believe librarians sit down and read all day and I'm very much aware that that's not what you do but had you always believed that one day you would turn to writing exactly the opposite because I just always I mean I'm a great reader and I love books but I had no clue about how to go about putting a story together and I had an idea for a story um, about the the Native American Choctaw donation to the Irish famine victims Um, but I had no idea how to tell that story and then my son Graham and his wife Jenny bought me a voucher for a creative writing class. And I was apprehensive about going because I thought I'll be the oldest person in the room. I'll have the least experience of everybody there. But I said, well, what the hell, I'll go anyway. And uh, I went, and that was the start of it. The tutor brought me through how to put a story together. And uh, after that class was finished, I signed up for other classes and finally produced the book. And this, I meant, this is your first printed one. You do, you do have an e-book though as well. That's, that's right. The, that's the e-book, is it, that you're talking? That's the e-book, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then this is the, this is the first um, one that's actually in print. I imagine a, um, an incredible buzz, Angie, to hold your book for the first time. Unbelievable. And to actually see it on the shelves, in the shops, is just so wonderful. I think the people um, in the bookshops around where I live are sick of me coming in and just looking. <laughs> yeah, you're dead. And you know what you should do? You should bring a buyer and sign it, just discreetly sign them. I think that's a lovely oh, thing they to have, do. Oh, they have asked me to sign them. So yeah. I signed copies in Ethan's um, just the other day. Well done. And uh, yeah, that is wonderful. It's wonderful to do that. Now, was there a huge amount of research went into this book? I mean, I mean, you, you, the book... It uh, takes you uh, to China, for example, and and yeah. and the and uh, the Boxer Revolution. Um, where did you go for research? Well, um, the research was ongoing. It was uh, very hard to find information. I used um, something called the Internet Archive, which produces books that are complete are really old, out of date books or out-of-print books, I mean. Um, So that was really where I got my inspiration, and I read articles. So I did searches for articles in academic journals and historic journals and pieced together everything that um, was relevant. I mean, there was a lot of research that I ended up not using, but that's always the way, I think. But, um, yeah, that's where I started with the, the Chinese element of it. Have you ever been to China? No, oh. no, I haven't. 
Well, I was wondering, reading it, uh, if, if you had been to uh, uh, China. Um, and the reaction, what reaction? Are, and it's, it's a fantastic whodunit, by the way. I don't know if I've, I've mentioned that. There is, it starts with there, there's a murder and, and uh, Angie goes to solve the murder. Uh, well, her characters go to solve the murder. What, re- <laughs> what reaction are you getting to it? Very, very good reaction. I think people um, always like a whodunit. Yeah. They're always popular. And I, I think that, well, so far, people have been saying that they really like the premise of it, um, the seven passengers and following their stories. And the, the Chinese element is sort of a surprise mm. then when they come to that. And uh, they like as well that the, um, the trial ties everything up together then at the end of it. And the the trial was the bit that got me. I could just couldn't let it down. I had to find out who 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 done it. And we won't give away who who done it. But it was it's a no. it's a very clever uh, twist. And your your and your and your your writing is is superb. I I mean I love your style of writing and I love the. Uh, there's nothing I uh, the the one thing I dislike is very long chapters. You don't have very long chapters. No, no I don't like uh, long chapters myself. And I also don't, I prefer a book that kind of rattles along quickly, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's what I try to do. I don't dwell too much um, on description. I probably should do that a little bit more. But, um, no, I like a book that kind of keeps, uh, has a good pace to it. Yeah. So that's what I try to put in here. And keeps the listener are the, the the reader with you all the time? Well, you, you've cer- exactly. you you certainly have succeeded. There, uh, there's another book on the way, or there will be another book on the way. I'm told there will be another book because um, the first book was taken up, or the when I sent the first book around, I got very little reaction, and I was disheartened. But Poolbeg Press got in touch with me one day, and they liked the book, they wanted to publish the book, and they offered me a three book deal. So now I have two books written and one to go. And I think that would, might be um, centred around Cork, but I'm not sure yet. I have to come down and do some research. And what's your connection with Cork, Angie? Well, I have no connection with Cork, <laughs> but it is a place that we love to visit. OK. And um, uh, we'll be down in Glengariff in a, in a couple of weeks and spend a few days there. And we love Cove and we have friends in Yall that we visit a lot. And we just, um, yeah, we're always happy to go to Cork. Yeah. Are you going to pop back into the Titanic experience with a copy of your book? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought yet. Oh, you absolutely that. should. They absolutely should. They'd, they'd, they'd be thrilled to see you go in go in with the book. It, it really is great. Um, OK, so it's available, as they say, in all good bookshops, Angie. In all good bookshops, big and small. And um, it's also available on Amazon as Kindle for people who prefer that. Nothing like holding the book in your hand, I have to say. Exactly. I feel the same yeah. myself, yeah. <laughs> We're kindred spirits, Angie. We're kindred spirits. Listen, sure it's are. fantastic and I'm already looking forward to the next book. So bring it on. And uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. It's been great talking Good to you. Good morning, Chia. Bye-bye. The book is called The Seventh Passenger and it is uh, written by Angie Rowe. As I say at the outset, it would make a fantastic holiday read because I think the fact it's a whodunit and, you know, Angie describes it really well, the pace of it, it just goes along at a really, really great uh, pace. It is a terrific uh, read. Uh, 0818 103 103. Um, someone, I saw this earlier, I don't know where the, the text is 
gone. It's to do with uh, actually it's something that we did uh, speak about last week on the programme and that's the the tourist, the American tourist who got beaten up by that what would they describe as a feral gang? I still can't get that in my head, that a group of young lads from Dublin, young lads and lassies, it seems, would be described as a feral gang. But that's exactly the way they are and the way they work they, uh, and what they're up to and what they and how they are attacking uh, people. Someone was on to say, Patricia, did you see it as a 14-year-old? I could not believe I actually stopped in my tracks when I heard on the news yesterday that a 14-year-old boy had, had appeared before. It was a special sitting of the Children's Court charged with the assault on this American tourist who now, of course, we know his name. It's um, Stephen Tur- uh, Termini. He's uh, a 57-year-old. Now, this 14-year-old boy, you're just thinking, my God. I remember it was 20 to 11 at night. You're thinking, why is a 14-year-old boy out in the middle of Dublin city centre at 20 to 11 at night hanging around a street corner with a gang of, of other lads and lassies up to absolutely no uh, good? Now, he appeared in court yesterday. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. He was released on bail and he'd be back before the courts again on uh, Thursday of uh, this uh, week. And uh, Stephen Termini, the 57-year-old, is from Buffalo in New York. He still remains seriously injured in Beaumont uh, Hospital. And we know it is. it does look like at this stage that he could have life-altering uh, injuries. I saw his son uh, talk at the weekend saying it's more than likely he definitely has lost uh, an eye. But the big worry is that when he wakes up out of the coma, he's in an induced coma, obviously, at the moment, to try to let the swelling go down in his brain. But the big, big worry is that he will end up being permanently brain damaged. I mean, his life will be changed forever. All we can do is hope and pray that that doesn't uh, happen. He was punched and kicked multiple times uh, in the head during the attack. It was on Talbot uh, Street uh, less than a week ago now. It was Wednesday night, wasn't it, uh, last week? Uh, a GoFundMe page, that got set up over the weekend. Now, the GoFundMe page as because obviously he's been you know really well looked after in Beaumont Hospital but the family are not in a financial position to jump on a plane to come home uh, to be to come back to come home to come to Ireland uh, to be with them so they set up, a, set up a GoFundMe page purely just to cover the travel costs to get them uh, over and actually up to last night it could even be gone higher today I think it was at $75,000 way more than what they'd even uh, looked for his son says there's absolutely no words for the 
generosity that has been shown by people following the TAC. And I was reading down through some of the people who were donating and, you know, a, a lot of were Dublin people, I have to say, you know, who were saying how shamed they were, how embarrassed they were and uh, that this could happen on their uh, streets of their uh, city. And people were apologetic and really, really hoping that his dad makes a full recovery. Now, I also saw over the weekend... CCTV footage has emerged which showed the moment of the attack. Now on the video you can see uh, uh, Stephen uh, Termini walking down uh, Talbot Street and he walks past this group of teenage boys and uh, girls and then for whatever reason whether they shouted something, said something I'm not too sure but you just see him circle back something caught his eye and he sort of walks back as if to approach this group of lads and lassies. Now, I don't know whether they said something or whether he was going back to ask for directions. I'm not quite uh, sure. Now, what happens then in the video footage is a bus uh, pulls up and it blocks the view of the camera. You can't see what's going on on the other side of the bus. But it's when the bus pulls off, you can see one teenage boy uh, kicking uh, this uh, American tourist. And at, uh, at that stage, most of the girls who were there, they had fled the scene, leaving the boys to do what the boys wanted uh, uh, to do. And it, it didn't look like the girls were anyway involved in the violence. He was then dragged around the corner to Store Street and that was out of the view of the camera. It was as if these young lads realised there's a CCTV camera up there. So they dragged him around uh, the corner and then they proceeded uh, to absolutely kick the living daylights out of him. But it's the fact that all of the kicks and the blows are being rained down on this poor man's head. It takes about five minutes then if you continue watching the CCTV you see two Gardaí running from Store Street and they uh, you see them running up the street going around the corner to obviously where this man is lying in a crumpled heap and then an, uh, an ambulance that arrives but it's just to think it is a 14 year old and as we mentioned and discussed last week when we were talking about it and we happened to have the GRA on it wasn't about this particular in- incident but we had uh, the, the, Gar- the representative association because they are talking about not having enough Gardaí to do the work that needs to be done and the amount of paperwork that they are tied up in well there's a report in the Irish Independent today showing the number of Gardaí working in stations in Dublin's north inner city and that's where this attack happened it's actually decreased by about 4% and that's just since the start of this year um, up Updated details on staffing levels across the country's 564 Garda stations show the number of Garda attached to Dublin North Central Division, which covers the station, including Store Street, just down the road where this attack happened. It also covers the Bridewell and Mount Joy. It's fallen by 3.8%. And that's just since January of this year. We're not talking about over the last five years, just this year. It's the largest percentage drop in numbers of frontline uh, Gardaí in any Garda division nationwide over the past six, wo- six months. All but one of the country's 27 Garda divisions have experienced reductions in frontline Gardaí since uh, January. And a report by the Oireachtas Parliamentary Budget Office, which was published last month, they estimated that the government would have to spend an extra £138 million a year on payroll costs if it was to meet the official target. It has an official target on the Garda staffing levels. It also reveals that Ireland, we have the 12th lowest number of police officers per capita based out of 32 European countries. The study, for example, found the number of Garda per 100,000 population is 11% below 
the uh, average. A Garda spokesperson said on Garda Shikona has been a growing organisation until the onset of COVID-19 and that obviously affected training and recruitment plans and we know there was the closure of the Garda College in uh, Templemore. The spokesperson pointed out that 150 members of Garda Shikona retired so far uh, this year. That was up to the end of May. But then there was 59 others who resigned from the force. We have a retention uh, issue. Now on a plus they do say 222 uh, recruits are due to be uh, sworn in uh, next uh, week but it's still not going to bring the numbers back up. And then there is a of all of the 27 are different Garda districts around uh, the country um, and showing where the, all of the numbers are down. All but one of the 27 Garda divisions have seen a reduction. So of course straight away you look to see what's going on in Cork um, City and County. For Cork City uh, the number has gone from 709 members of the force to 702. That's since the start of the year. The Garda North Division uh, went from 333 down to 324 and in the West Cork division has gone from 289 they're down 5 to 284 as I say some of them will naturally be Gardaí coming to retirement age and deciding to retire but others are simply uh, people who are leaving the force just can't take it as a career anymore so we, we have the ongoing uh, recruitment uh, have we the ongoing recruitment but we have a retention issue uh, as well and until we have more Gardaí on the beat are we going to see more cases like that of a 14 year old boy and others others involved uh, as well they just haven't been uh, charged yet as the Gardaí continue uh, with that investigation but it's just a shocking case and just I was as I say I stopped dead, dead in my tracks when I thought it was the four, what 14 year old can decide to kick the living daylights out of a man he doesn't even know never even met before it's just truly truly shocking what has gone wrong with this country 0818 103-103. Bernie is uh, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. A woman suffering from a devastating Lyme disease diagnosis is taking extreme measures by setting up a GoFundMe page to ensure she can receive care after running out of funds to cover her treatment. Anita Kubica, who lives in Passage West, uh, joins me to share her uh, story. Good morning to you, Anita. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. Well, you're very, um, you're very welcome. I suppose we need to take you back. When did you start to feel unwell and what symptoms did you initially have? So um, the, the biggest really turnaround was in 2019, around October, I got kind of very unwell. So it was like a mix of symptoms, flu-like symptoms, fever and a little bit vomiting bug. So um, I thought it's only, you know, like quick, quick illness, you in and out. Um, it, that was not the story. Um, turns out that... Um, it was um, uh, more severe than I thought. And I ended up being twice in GP. Then the GP afterwards uh, sent me to E&E and I ended up being uh, hospitalized. However, even though, you know, my symptoms were totally unusual and it took quite a long time, uh, almost two and a half weeks, the doctor in E&E said it's kind of post um, feverish symptoms and that it's not happening to me. So I shouldn't really disturb E&E uh, kind of cue. 
because they saving lives over there. So as uh, the blood results also came back correct, so they sent me back home. And really, that was the turning point. Um, after a long time, um, in 2020, when I met the doctor, um, who is currently my uh, doctor for Lyme disease, he explained to me that um, uh, the, the Lyme disease could be a dormant for a long time my case uh, okay you're, you're, you're just case I was bitten. yeah you're just breaking up uh, slightly yeah. so it was the following year before you got the Lyme's di- disease diagnosis is there a blood test to test for Lyme's disease or how is it diagnosed yes so majority of the time it's a blood test okay. and um, uh, in my case it was the situation that I was positive the first blood blood test was um, carried on here in Ireland in Cork, and it was positive. And for the further diagnosis, I had to go abroad because there is not not a facility or the place or the laboratory that actually runs the in-depth diagnosis of the type of the bacteria or how big the amount of the bacteria are in. So, like you said, yes, in two thousand twenty. I was um, fully diagnosed with and did, Lyme disease and co-infections. Did it almost come as a relief to you, Anita, to actually have a name on what was wrong with you? So, yes and no. So initially, yes, because, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not crazy. <laughs> I, I, it's actually something happening to me, you know, and has a name. But then, OK, when this happiness went away, it was like, oh, my God, and what I'm going to do now? To know it's like where to go, what to do, what to know, who gonna help me, how to fix it, to know, and know. that was. And 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 do you reckon that you had um, Lyme's disease? It was in your system. You reckon it was from a tick when you were younger? Yes. So the the doctor actually um, took not only the analysis of the blood, but he also went through with me kind of a history illness, and he asked me. Um, he showed me kind of um, a list of the symptoms which are provided, you know, by the heart of it. It's the leading doctor for Lyme disease. He has like a checklist and he told me to point out since when some of the symptoms begin. So we would say I, I went through, I sat down at home and I started doing kind of analysis, kind of taking some of the doctor uh, uh, kind of, you know, research and things uh, on myself. And it began from age of 17, 18, roughly, um, because I was bitten by the ticks. But those days, I never had a rash, bullseye rash, which is called the most common. Um, I never had flu-like symptoms uh, those days, except I had a problem with my joints and I was feeling extremely cold. So we would say it could be 30 degrees, uh, outside and I will be like, you know, double layer of the clothing, uh, you know, fluffy socks, um, you know, scarves and things like freezing all the time. So that was beginning. And since that time, every so often, it was something happening to me, which also is on the list of horror of it. And it was comes and goes, but because it seems like the body was uh, responding well enough to fight the whatever symptom it was, I was kind of, you know, not really bothered to look into further up to the time when in 2019 
I was bitten again and I couldn't ignore my symptoms anymore. And, and did, so, I re- yeah. did I read when in 2019 it was it was a spider? It wasn't a tick. Y- yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was bitten second time, you know, by the the spider. It's it's like a home uh, black looking kind of very fast running spider. And yeah. uh, they they could transmit some of the co-infection per se. Um, and that's what happened to me. And they can trigger um, the Lyme disease. Uh, so that's my case. I also come across people who got triggered and they had dormant Lyme disease by breaking the leg, simple as it is, you know. So don't have to be a bite. It has to be something that's going to lower down the immune system to the point that the Lyme disease will have door open. Okay. And, and what what yeah. is the treatment today for Lyme's disease? So I suppose the most common treatments um, so depend also on the situation and the human being. So the story I'm going to tell you is only based on me. So um, initially, because we didn't know it's a Lyme disease uh, back in 2019, so I didn't got any antibiotics, but um, that's uh, the, the most kind of common treatment, um, the, the antibiotic treatment. They are special types which are for the Lyme disease to kind of stop um, the, the bacteria spread and kind of uh, demobilize the bacteria. Um, the, the, they are treatments which my body respond the best is the herbal treatment. So um, there, there is, a, um, as in recently passed away, very famous um, herbalist, uh, Dr. Buchner, and he created kind of a protocols. And I went through with it and my body was responding very well to that treatment. Um, on top of that, you know, you need supportive uh, type of treatment. So we would say probiotics to support your gut. We know uh, now the research shown that the gut is our second brain. Mm. So we need to support the gut. There are other ones which are more specific. We would say salt baths, or, uh, which helps with detoxification. Um, I uh, accept salt baths myself. I go and swim in the sea. So we would say Martaville or Fountain Sound, you know, just to help the body. Um, the cold kind of helps a little bit. Um, and and swimming, you know, in a salty sea. Um, then some people use Chinese medicine. We would say acupuncture, maybe Reiki. Um, there is other one. It's called Ayurveda. It's from India. Uh, we would say they have the techniques and ways of kind of come across. Uh, sorry, um, to work against the illnesses. Um, they are massages, so you could have live massage, which is a very number one, actually, type of massage. You can have a manual um, uh, massage um, uh, of the lymph to get rid of it and detox the body, to get rid of the waste or whatever the badness in the body. Um, the other one, which is very good working for me, is called Bowen therapy massage. Um, the, another type is infrared sauna. Um, it's uh, my body responds very well. So, well you know, well, it's like a sound. You, you really are. You really are trying to uh, help yourself uh, uh, for sure. And oh, yeah. That's, and that's yeah. the reason. That There's you, many treatreatments, you know, yeah. it's like amount. Yeah. And you've had to set up a GoFundMe page because obviously all these treatments yeah. um, cost money. And it's the, Go, the GoFundMe page is Help Anita, A-N-E-T-A, Help Anita with Lyme disease treatment. And it is on uh, Go. It's, it's a GoFundMe page that's up and running at the moment. Are you able to? work or are you out of work with it? 
So yes, so um, actually uh, since 2019, I was uh, back and forth and currently I'm back to work for reduced hours. So I started last week, happy days. Good. And uh, to know um, I was off since uh, uh, February. That was actually additional reason, not only Lyme disease, um, that actually um, is a problem. Uh, after a while, it turns out that you know the co-infections which um kind of go with the Lyme disease acting up and then in between uh, last year in February I was diagnosed with the gist inside my stomach which is like a type of the tumor so that's additional kind of uh, backstory so uh, Lyme disease is the most uh, the, the biggest problem I have but you know um like uh, patients with Lyme disease they have many many other kind of um issues yeah, alongside I've, and yeah. yes the GoFundMe is to help me to support um kind of treatment well the diagnosis and kind of everything okay listen related. listen good luck with it because it really is it's a nasty nasty disease and it's just so uh, debilitating we wish you good luck and we thank you for taking time out uh, to talk to us today Thanks. good and good health thank to you, you anita. So much. bye bye take care that is uh, uh anita Ku. Kubicha um, about her Lyme disease and if you want to help as I say she has a GoFundMe page which is Help Anita with uh, Lyme disease treatment 0818 103 103 our lines are open some of your thoughts coming into the programme keep questions by the way coming in for Annalise Drussell our nutritional therapist because she'll join us in this hour on the programme you can call Bernie 0818 103 103 if you've got a question for Annalise or if you want to text or WhatsApp me into the studio you can do that as well to 086 6210303. Some of your texts and calls uh, coming into the program uh, this morning. Uh, Nora was on Nora Casey from the she had an open garden for uh, Marymount in Dunamore yesterday and she was just on to say it was a huge huge success we were calling it out on the uh, community diary good to know that so many people uh, turned up and of course in what a great cause uh, for Marymount and she wants to just thank everybody who supported the day uh, yesterday and she said there was huge crowds arriving all day long so thrilled to hear that Nora and well done to you by the way uh, for opening up your garden as well that isn't that's a brave, brave thing uh, to do, I always feel. 0818103103. And some commentary in reacting to the email I read out from our own John Green, bless his heart, who very sadly now less than a month ago lost his beloved uh, partner, uh, Rose, who died very, very suddenly while they were first night of their holidays. They were away for a week down in Castletown Bear. And he was talking about they waited an hour for an ambulance and he was talking about how he said to his own doctor afterwards, should he have rang Southstock and his own doctor said there wouldn't have been any point. Southstock wouldn't have wouldn't have come out. There wouldn't have been a Southstock available to you at that hour. And it was just and uh, just questioning that whole thing about the Southstock service. And if you live in a rural area and you happen to get sick out of hours, what are you meant to do? You can't aim to get sick between nine, 9 and 5 at Monday to Friday. Uh, just some people commenting. This is a West Cork listener. Says, Patricia, deepest sympathies uh, to John Green on the passing of his partner and his best friend, Rose. I'd like to commend John for continuing with his Sunday morning show. He's very brave. 
fair play to him he is uh, indeed and that's from a West Cork listener someone else aside Patricia it's a heartbreak to hear John Green's email this morning regarding his much loved partner can I pass on condolences to him I really can't understand the GP service these days going back even say 10 years ago you would have had a GP uh, in his or her own practice seeing patients and also attending to house calls now you can have five GPs in a large surgery none of them seem to be working full time and none of them offer house calls if somebody is terminally ill or has a disability there is no issue receiving a medical card but I feel others are receiving we're giving out too many medical cards it is ridiculous if it's not the case um, if that's the case everyone should have a GP uh, card and that is the aim though of Sloan to Clare is that everybody would have free access to a GP but it is causing knock-on effects in that the GP practices are just now so, so busy and how often do we hear of people frantically trying to sign up with a doctor if they move to a new area and God forbid if your doctor decides to close down and the town you're living in all of the other GP practices are full it's a nightmare talk to anybody up in uh, Charleville and the problems they've been having and actually earlier today actually it, it is connected to Charleville Geraldine is living in Mallow now but she had previously been living in uh, Charleville and she is having huge problems trying to get a GP practice in Mallow to take her on as a patient. All of the GP practices are uh, full. So she telephoned her doctor in Charleville because she needs to get an updated prescription. And the receptionist says they can't find any record of Geraldine being a patient at this particular GP practice in uh, Charleville. Yeah, Geraldine says she's been a patient with them for the last three years and she's in a right pickle because her prescription is about to uh, run out. I'd be getting back on to the GP practice in Charleville or if you can, Geraldine, I know you've moved to Mallow. I don't know if you've moved for work reasons or I don't know what the reason. Could you call in in person that you've, you're there somewhere on the, fee, uh, on the file? Uh, you can't just suddenly disappear off a file when you were with their practice uh, for the last uh, three years. And then John and Cove was on to say Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, is saying people should go to the chemist, which would take pressure off the GP services. But the chemists are running low on medications. Why isn't Stephen, what is Stephen Donnelly doing something about that? The Golden Circle in County Hall have sent out their annual rent review forms this morning. They, they they still want their pound of flesh from council tenants, even in what is very, very hard uh, times. Yeah, and that is an annual thing that happens. There is a rent review to see. And of course, your rent review, if you're living in a council house, it's based on the amount of money coming into the house. But just on the chemist one, that's a review that's underway. Uh, it's, a, it's a task force, I think, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, has set up. It's an issue we've addressed on the programme. We've spoken with the Irish Pharmacy Union. We've spoken with individual pharmacists who so are all saying that they could be doing a lot more to help out GPs because I'm just talking about GPs being so busy and so overstretched at the moment. Our population base has gone up, but our number of GPs, unfortunately, hasn't gone up to correspond with, with all of the extra people that are living 
living and working in this country. So like something has to give. We are hoping, and I was talking with Bernie in the office before it came on uh, air this morning, we are hoping to speak with some one of the pharmacists, one of the ones we've spoken uh, with in the past, who's talking about what a pharmacist could do, the work and the different things that a pharmacist could do that would take some of that pressure away from the GPs. You know, I may even be able to help out uh, the likes of Geraldine. I don't know what her prescription is about, but sometimes you just need a repeat prescription. Nothing has changed. You don't need to have bloods done. You don't need to get in to see the doctor at all. But it's tying up the doctor's time. If the GP, if the chemist could take over some of that, wouldn't it be great? And of course, as we've heard, there are other uh, minor ailments that could be dealt with by having a chat with the pharmacist. But of course, if you're on a medical card, you've got to go to the doctor because they've got to write up the prescription so that you can get your your medicines uh, for free. So I'm interested to see what, what is the thinking of Stephen Donnelly and is he finally listening to the pharmacist's in what they are uh, saying. 0818 Now this is on a, a, a kind of a completely different one but it is uh, tied into health and, and looking after yourself. John in uh, Canturk went to the Afida clinic, that's the one that's in the city last Tuesday. Now he had to pay for parking in the car park and the parking cost him €9.60. That's so expensive. You're going to a private clinic, you're paying anyway. Then you have to pay for the joy, €9.60. Anyway, uh, he paid. And then when he got to the barrier, the barrier wouldn't go up. So he pressed the button. Please press for help. So he pressed the button and the lady said, what machine did you use to pay? So John point, you know, gave the details of the machine he used. And she started arguing with him, saying, no, no, you haven't paid. There's no... We can't see anything on the system to say you've uh, paid. So John stuck to his guns and said, I did. I've paid you €9.60. She finally agreed to let the barrier go up. I don't know whether it was a queue of cars uh, before. Anyway, as soon as he got home, he checked his bank account. And there it is. The €9.60 has gone out of his bank and has gone to the Afida clinic to pay for his car park. She said, he said, they don't issue tickets anymore. It's all done by your number plate recognition on your car. So he didn't have a stamped ticket to be able to show her that he had paid and he's wondering has anybody else had this a problem and the number recognition sometimes they don't work because you know if you if you book your parking in the airport and it's all done on that number recognition sometimes it works fine but sometimes it doesn't work and you've got to go then check and say look I have paid and, and, and whatever so that is it, it's frustrating when you had paid and then you couldn't prove that you'd paid why can't they go back to the old fashioned way of giving you out a ticket and you put the ticket into the machine or at least have a receipt in your hand so that if somebody's arguing with you that you haven't paid, you can clearly show that you have. Anybody else? Has that happened to anybody else in the Afida clinic with the number recognition getting out of the car park? And John was on about that serious assault in Dublin and that I mentioned earlier. And now we know a 14-year-old boy. There's at least three, three youths that they think were responsible for the that vicious, vicious assault on that poor man over from uh, America. And by the way, I found out more about him at the weekend. He was he was travelling on his own. He was over. Firstly, uh, he's of Irish ancestry. 
his parents came over from the States uh, or came over from Ireland. Well, his mother certainly came over. I think his father was from Ireland as, as well. His mother actually got buried here. Her wish was to go back to Ireland uh, to be buried. I think it was back in the noughties. And he wasn't able to make it over for the funeral. So he, he wanted to visit her grave. So that's what he was over for. And he was also trying to trace more of his roots, his roots in Dublin and in Mayo. But that was the purpose of, of his visit. And according to his family, he'd saved really, really hard for this visit. They're, they're not a family awash with money. That's why they had to set up the GoFundMe page so that other family members can come over to be with him. Please God, when he wakes up from that um, coma, that's induced coma that he's in at the moment. Um, but it was just the thought of him coming over on this exciting trip that he'd saved so hard for and then for it to end the way it ended. Anyway, John said Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, was on the front page of a lot of the papers at the weekend saying Dublin is a safe city, John says. As Justice Minister, she needs to resign. Um, he wouldn't have any confidence in her, particularly with her coming out to say that Dublin is a safe city. And I did see the pictures of Helen uh, McEntee and Pascal O'Donoghue was in the picture as well. And they were being walked around the streets of Dublin. I think they had three, they had two, if not three, Gardaí with them. And as somebody pointed out, yeah, I'd feel safe if I was walking on the streets of Gardaí, around the streets of Dublin, and I was getting a guard, the, a guard, the escort. I did see this morning, actually, uh, the mayor, the current Lord Mayor of Dublin, that's uh, Dahi Darashta, he's saying that high visibility policing is needed on the streets of Dublin. And he was also talking about those stats that I mentioned today, showing that there's 40% drop in Gardaí working in the stations in the Dublin's north inner city where this attack uh, happened. And he was speaking earlier on uh, national radio and he says that there is, a, there is a perception, he says, that Dublin is unsafe at present. He says, for my part, I believe Dublin is a safe city in the main and we are always going to have incidents. But the perception of Dublin is that it is unsafe at the moment. And we do have a lot of antisocial behaviour on the streets. He said, we've seen these incidents in recent weeks and what's happening. And I'm saying it's simply not good enough and we need an urgent response to uh, address it. Yeah. And all you need is a perception that a city is, isn't safe. And then when you get an attack like what happened to that man last week, you can understand why people would be avoiding uh, the city centre. And I'm not saying that this is something that just goes on in Dublin. I don't know how I'd feel about walking down Patrick Street in the city um, late at night on my own or even with, say, one other person. I I think I'd probably feel a little bit unsafe uh, as well. And the way you do feel safe is when you see a higher visibility of policing. I think everyone feels that little bit safer if they do happen to, happen to see that there's a guard there and I'm not looking for a guard on every corner and we'll never be able to have a guard there on every corner but just to have a higher visibility on the streets. 0818 103 103 Court today on C103 When someone is uh, suggesting with the antisocial behaviour on our city streets in Dublin in particular why not put the army out on the streets to get on top of some of the antisocial uh, behaviour yeah, is it is it worth uh, looking at? The other one is, when, remember Rudy Giuliani in New York when he was mayor of New York? Remember he took on like a zero 
tolerance approach to antisocial behaviour and really cleaned up the streets of uh, New York. I heard somebody speaking on national radio last week. They, they had lived for a period of time in the Bronx in New York and it was following what Rudy Giuliani had done and the person said that they felt safer on the streets of New York than they would on the streets of Dublin and I thought that was a scary, scary uh, statement. Hi Patricia, in response to the lady whose name seems to have gone from when she contacted her GP and they can't find her on the system even though she was there for three years. It's possible her name might be spelt in a different way on their system. As you know, some names can be added and, and you can take a letter away and it could be, you know, you could have Anne with an E and Anne without an E and, you know, people can spell names uh, differently. It can be O Driscoll and the O might be missing, uh, for example. Uh, it might be what, yeah, I, I think she should pop back in and, and work out because she was on their system for three years. You can't suddenly disappear. Joan and from was on to say the health centre in Mitchellstown in order to make an appointment you have to phone first you can't just pop in to say can I make an appointment you've got to phone she said she knows of a lady who just turned up with her sick uh, child to be told no sorry you have to ring for an appointment uh, first and obviously when you've got an unwell child you just want to see a doctor so she bundled the car, child into the car and she went up to Douglas 364 Doctor 365 they're based in Douglas they're a walk-in service and they said saw a lovely doctor there got a prescription for her daughter and she was home within a few hours but you know that she needed to do that is something that just doesn't sit with me at all that you can't get in to see your own doctor with a sick uh, child Uh, there's very few practices now of course offering same day same day appointments but like how do you know how do you know on Friday that you're going to be sick on Monday so you can make an appointment particularly when it's a child they can go downhill so quickly 0818103103 I'm told that there's a massive tailback on the Mallow to Cork Road and it's due to the road works so if you're travelling between Mallow and Cork please be aware you're going to have to take extra time because there are massive uh, tailbacks can I go back to an email that or can I go to an email that came into the programme over the weekend. With a reminder to you, we love to get your emails. Cork today at c103.ie. And this arrived into us uh, this morning to say, Hi, Patricia. I've been feeling sad all weekend after something that I witnessed on Friday morning. Let me tell you my story. I went to the post office to pick up my pension. As I approached the door, a woman and a girl who I would say was about 13 or 14 came out. Just as I got right up to the door, an old lady was stood in the doorway looking a bit tired and to be honest looked a bit confused. The woman and the girl had obviously left this elderly woman to find her own way out of the post office and to be honest she really wasn't very steady on her feet. I stood waiting to one side in no rush to go in as the woman yelled get out of the way mom!" and then the girl started roaring move Nan move with a smirk on her face neither one offering an arm for this elderly woman to lean on. I said to the old lady take your time love I'm in absolutely no hurry. She actually looked frightened. It all happened in a couple of minutes and I could see the woman was more concerned with the daughter in her trendy clothes makeup and headphones than she was about her elderly mother who had now more than likely brought her up in who who now more than likely would have brought her up in far harder times and probably a few more siblings beside. I thought if this is how they treat her out in public 
What are they like behind closed doors? I can't stop thinking of that poor old lady and what a sad life she may be leading. I have been a soul carer for an elderly person. I've done it twice in my life. And though there were times I could have ripped my hair out with frustration, on the whole, I did find it rewarding. I didn't choose to be a carer. Most of us don't. But the love of the person gets you through and the secret is take your time dealing with them. I hate to see people doting on a spoilt next generation at the expense of an older person. What always comes to mind is if a child is abused, then the culprit can be caught when the child grows up and tells what happened to them. But if it's elder abuse, then the culprit can get away with it as the older person is not listened to and what they say is put down to dementia. I hope and pray that I'm wrong and that poor, that poor old lady isn't being bullied, especially by what I felt was a very cheeky granddaughter. I just ask that anyone who finds themselves between an old person and a young family to give a bit more time to the older person. The young ones have all of the time in the world, but the older ones have given their lives for us. It would make better citizens of the young person if they were encouraged to help the elderly rather than be allowed to talk down to them or make fun of them, as many people let their children do. I know the majority of people look after their old folks well, but sadly, abuse is out there. And it's up to us as a society to please be more vigilant. Thank you for taking the time to read this. All good wishes, Sheila. That broke my heart. Isn't that just... Yeah, I would hate to think of somebody, an elderly person like that being shouted at, particularly by the, the what, what a pup of a granddaughter to actually shout at the, move Nan, move. I would just have been raging, raging over that. Where's the lack of respect? I'm thinking of my own. Um, I had an English grandmother who used to come home on holidays uh, every year, Nana Kathleen. Goodness me, I am telling you, I wouldn't even thought of shouting move <laughs> to her. I, I mean, my mother wouldn't have allowed it to happen, but my grandmother wouldn't have allowed it to happen uh, either. Are we losing respect for older people? It's sad, isn't it? And, and, and Sheila's right. It's sad to think and worrying to think if they can shout at her like that out in public, what is it like at home, you know, and obviously they all went into the post office together. Obviously, Nana was going in to pick up her, her pension and, you know, nice that they were bringing her out to pick up her pension and probably took her to do a bit of shopping. But all she needs is a little bit of help. But obviously the daughter and the granddaughter go out ahead chatting away and then poor old Nan is heading up the rear a bit unsteady on her feet. And all she needed was an arm, you know, link her out and, and help her out. Which, I mean, even the thought of leaving her behind as she was trying to make her way out of the post office is just, yeah, sad for sure and is definitely showing a lack of respect. And listen, I'm not saying that, that, you know, that elderly woman might be cantankerous and might be hard to live with and God knows we're all going to get old and we'll probably all get cantankerous and we'll probably all be hard to live with at times. But a little bit of respect and a little bit of love, uh, please. The, that generation of older people today, Sheila is right, they went through very, very tough times and harder times and they were a generation that was raised with, with such respect and you'd like to think that they've instilled that in the next uh, generation and then for us to instill it into the generation coming up. 0818103103 oh, Your thoughts welcomed on Sheila's email please and you can also get your questions in for Annalise. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 
103 103. Cork today on C103. Let's go to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic where Annalise Drissel uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And water, water everywhere. Are you sick of the rain? <laughs> Actually, it's glorious in Ballancolic. Is it? Great, great. Oh, that's good. They, they, we're expecting a bit of sunshine today, but the wet weather is back on Wednesday. But I don't know, when you look at all the fires that are going on in Europe, are we are we better with this than that scorching oh, temperature? Oh, Patricia, yeah. because, you know, at least, like, we can always get out for an hour or two in between. It's not, yeah. on, you know, it's not all day and we can sleep at night. Over there, I think even if you can escape in the daytime at night, it must be hell. Yeah, yeah. I heard somebody saying it was it was like being in hell, and somebody saying, and when you do go out, it's like somebody's turning a, a hair dryer, blowing it in your face. It's hot hair dryer. It's just it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're lucky. We're, we should count our yeah. We'll take we'll take it. Not okay. Yeah. Uh, let's get straight into questions. Uh, this one, a listener says, I'm going to get in nice and early. It was one of our first texts this morning for Annalise. I've recently started HRT and I'm feeling bloated and very premenstrual with it. I can fall asleep. I'll wake up two hours later and fall back to sleep again and then wake up again. I'm mentally and physically exhausted. Could Annalise recommend any supplement or can you take the, is there any alternative menopause supplement that you can take alongside with the HRT? Yeah. Uh, help please yeah it's an excellent question uh, Patricia because HRT is wonderful and it helps an awful lot of people but actually it also doesn't agree with a lot of people so for people who my customers who haven't agreed with I've heard things like um, increased belly fat bloating uh, constipation um, weepiness a lot of weepiness as well. So some people as well, they have to do progesterone alongside the HRT and I think they are the people who get are prone to get more weepy. I think it's the progesterone. So it's not always the answer for everybody. Uh, but I think a doctor would tell you, you need to kind of really give it about three months to allow for everything to kind of balance and kick in before you can really judge whether it or not it's for you. Most people will find a great benefit to it. If it's not for you, the natural alternatives are... Um, there's a lot of them actually and they work really really well and actually they're not that much more expensive than buying HRT every month anyway and they can also be taken alongside HRT very healthily and uh, without any crossover or any problems so the ones that work best for our customers are there's two that I would say would be good for kind of all over symptoms Um, the first one I'd recommend is the Nutri-Advanced Perimenopause Support and the second one is the uh, Revive Menoactive, which is very good as well. So both of those target um, menopause from a lot of different angles. So they support the stress axis as well because we've all got very busy lives and a lot of us have quite a bit of stress on. So um, stress will directly impact your sex hormones. So by supporting that, it's also helping with hormone balance. Um, and they have a lot of stuff for energy, for kind of for brain fog, for low mood, and they're great all-rounders. So the two of those, we get great feedback on them. There are a couple of other ones as well then that would be beneficial. So um, Dong Kwai is a kind of a Chinese herb that has got natural, natural hormones in there. And we found that that can work very well for people's libido, if that's the main thing, if your kind of libido is gone. Um, and Terra Nova do a great Dong Kwai product. Uh, also, there are two other products that are worth mentioning. The Vogel Menopause Support is just very simply plant-based hormones so they don't have any of the other stress support so they're kind of great if you've got few symptoms but not an awful lot um it's a really good value product and then they also of course do the sage which is very good for hot flushes so if hot flush is your only symptom and if that's what's keeping you awake at night sage is the one for you 
So the four of those, again, are the Nutri-Advanced Perimenopause Support and the uh, Revive Active Menoactive. They're the two great kind of top of the range all around supports. And then the other ones would be Don Quai for Libido and the Vogel Menopause Support and Sage for Hot Flushes. Okay, and the fact that she's only recently gone on it, does she just need time for it to settle I down? I the doctor will tell you take it takes about three months, really, and I think most people would say it'll take a few months to kick in. So I'd give it three months, and if you're still not right after three months, maybe it's not for you. But you can certainly try taking the natural products alongside HRT. They'll work very well together. Okay. Um, hi, Annalise. I've got blisters at the back of my tongue and I can't seem to get rid of them. I was on an antibiotic. doesn't seem to have helped. helped. I'm also using a good mouthwash. Hmm. I don't really know, Patricia. Sometimes blisters can be like an allergic reaction. A lot of people would get blisters on their lips, inner lips or tongues or even mouth ulcers from berries. I always think when I hear this in the summer, I think we're always eating a lot of strawberries. Um, and other berries. So, would that be the cause? Possibly, are you eating a lot of berries? Um, generally, for kind of a healthy mouth. Oh, actually, there's a very good uh, tip somebody gave me during the week. Udo's do a super five lozenge, which is probiotics in lozenge form. So you can actually suck those, and you get the good bacteria in your mouth. So that's brilliant to prevent gum disease, mouth ulcers. If you've got a, you know, a horrible coating on your tongue bad breath and may also help with these blisters as well. It just basically puts the good bacteria into your mouth so that you've got a healthy sort of uh, population in, in, in your mouth and in your saliva. So you could try those. They're the Udo Super 5. And then I know that Dr. Claire does an amazing mouthwash that has got myrrh in it. Um, the frankincense and myrrh that the wise old men brought for um, for baby Jesus. So they really obviously have huge uh, value healing pro- uh, properties as well. So she has actually myrrh and tincture form in her mouthwash and it's great. I've given it to people who've had really stubborn ulcers, very painful uh, gum disease and had fantastic results with it. So you could definitely try that as well. And then if they're not disappearing, you'll probably have to do a bit of digging to see are you maybe reacting to something that you're eating. Mm, that, those Udos, the Udas Super 5, yeah. the lads and yours. I've used those because I was going through a period of just getting reoccurring uh, mouth ulcers. Brilliant. Found yeah, they're very, very good. Absolutely fantastic. The other thing actually I could suggest too, Patricia, is I find colloidal silver is great for kind of healing stubborn things up. It's uh, you, it's just tiny, tiny nanoparticles of silver in, in water. So it's really safe. You can use it on kids. You can, it's tasteless. Uh, you can spray it into the eye if you've got eye infections. But again, I would recommend often those for ulcers to kind of take the pain out of them and heal them up quicker and it works really well. So colloidal silver would be the third thing I'd add there. Okay, Margaret says, uh, Hi Annalise, I use cinnamon every morning in, on my fruit and porridge, about half a teaspoonful. I've been recently told it can be toxic to your liver. Um, could you please give advice on this? Yeah, I think probably everything is toxic in high amounts, Patricia. So that probably is the truth in that. Um, they're like, I mean, even peaches, the kernel of a peach has arsenic in it um, and arsenic would be well known as a poison. But of course, it needs to be in a toxic amount for it to cause problems. The one thing I recommend is if you're going to take something on a regular basis and it's not expensive, try and get the organic one because my worry would be more about what sprays are put on the product and then concentrated in the final form than actually what's naturally occurring in it in low amounts. So, I mean, we we do a great organic cinnamon in here 
um, and it's not expensive. I think it's about seven quid for over 200 grams. So it's a really good value one. And at least you're you're sure that you're not getting any toxic chemicals on it. And that'll take definitely uh, some stress off the liver to detoxify those. And I think a half a teaspoon a day is perfectly safe. Hi, uh, Patricia. Question for Annalise, please. I've got arthritis in my fingers on both hands. They are very swollen. I have nodules and my thumbs have actually changed shape completely and are extremely sore. God, that sounds dreadful. Um, I don't eat any processed uh, food. I only have oily, I've oily fish twice a week. I'm taking a good quality cod liver oil supplement. I've been doing that for the past five weeks, but I'm seeing no improvement. Any suggestions, please, from Annalise? God, Okay. Very painful, so, isn't it? It is very painful. Um, I mean, the, the one of the things I would say first, Patricia, is that I think it might be worth going down to your doctor and just getting your bloods checked to make sure that it is just wear and tear arthritis as opposed to something uh, more serious like rheumatoid arthritis. So go down and get that checked by your doctor because um, if that's the case, you will need to go on immune modulating drugs to keep that under control. Um, so the cod liver oil is wonderful for as a natural anti-inflammatory and a lot of people take it for joints for that reason but I think it's not very specific for joints so in this case I would recommend adding a few different things now when when my customers are in a flare-up of arthritis albeit rheumatoid or wear and tear arthritis I always recommend a natural anti-inflammatory for at least a month to try and get the inflammation down because you're never going to get good healing happening if there's a lot of inflammation so the ones that we would use here, uh, the one that works the best actually for our customers is a Nutri-Advanced one, and it's called Curcudine 40. C-U-R-D-Y-N 40, F-O-R-T-E. And it's a combination of curcumin, the extract from turmeric, and boswellia in very high concentrated form. And that's very good for modulating inflammation and trying to bring that down straight away. And then I'd add in a joint supplement. So there's a couple that work really well for our customers. Some do better on one than the other. But the Gal-UC2 cartilage, we get amazing feedback on that sometimes. People come in within a week having noticed a benefit. So that's Gal-UC2 cartilage. And the other one is an Irish product by One Nutrition. And it's, it's just called Joint Support. And that seems to work very well for some people as well. Um, and again, could take about four weeks to kick in. But four weeks is fast, I think, in terms yeah. of natural supplements. Um, and then in, if you're in a severe pain, I would start rubbing something into that just to take the pain out of it. So get, um, get some kind of cream, like a deep heat or something like that, even in the chemist or in the, in the health shop, that heats up and that heat or soak them in warm water. And that can sometimes take the pain out. Okay, good luck with that. Anne says, hi, question for Annalise, please. I'm a woman in my late 60s. I've recently been diagnosed with osteopenia. Doctor has put me on calcium and vitamin D. I read on the internet that I should be taking vitamin K2 MK7 with the vitamin D. Would Annalise think that I should be taking this vitamin K2 MK7, which I've never heard of? Uh, Any advice? Gratefully appreciate it. Yes, I definitely do, Patricia. Um, Now, vitamin K2 always kind of gets a bit of a eyebrows raised from um, a lot of medical people because vitamin K1 is a blood clotter. Um, We need it in our bodies to keep, to help our blood clot so it stops bleeding. But for that reason, a lot of people would be worried about taking vitamin K2. It's actually a very different product. It doesn't clot your blood. It's actually a really amazing vitamin. It can help prevent buildup of plaque as well in the arteries. One of the dangers about taking high amounts of calcium is that 
high calcium in the bloodstream can actually interact with cholesterol in the arteries and harden and form the plaque. So actually too much calcium is not a good thing. And I often think we ask the wrong question here in Ireland in a country where we have plenty of dairy in our diet and most people are getting adequate calcium. Why do we have osteopenia and osteoporosis? I personally don't feel it's down to a lack of calcium. I think it's probably more down to a lack of vitamin D because that's what we're more likely to be deficient in seeing as we only get it for a couple of months in the summer every year. So I'm not a big fan of taking high doses of calcium for heart health reasons. So if you are taking a lot of calcium, make sure you take a vitamin K2. And you can actually get vitamin D and K2 in a supplement together because they're quite often put together in health stores and they're not expensive. So anyone with heart health issues or with bone issues or anyone after menopause, I would definitely recommend taking them both together. Okay, and let's finish up with a couple of questions to do with ulcers. Somebody wants to know what would Annalise recommend for leg ulcers? And Margaret was on to us from West Cork. She suffers from leg ulcers. She's not diabetic. She's tried dressings from the nurse. They clean up, they clear up for a bit, but then they break out again. Reoccurring leg ulcers. So when I hear reoccurring leg ulcers, Patricia, I think it's probably a circulation issue because if you're not getting good circulation to the area um, and a good blood flow bringing the nutrients and the oxygen to the area, you're more likely to get ulceration and it's going to take a lot harder and longer for them to heal. So if that is an issue, supporting circulation would be really good. And things that are good for that are things, firstly, that keep the blood thin, so things like garlic is fantastic, turmeric is fantastic, and all the fish oils are lovely for keeping the blood lovely and flowy and thin. The other thing that's great for circulation is actually horseradish. And Viridian do a horseradish and garlic complex, and we get good feedback on that in the winter. I give it to people for um, chillblains when they've got circulation issues and get a lot of chillblains. So maybe take something like that to improve your circulation. And then always two things for skin healing, vitamin C and zinc. They'll always help to improve your skin's ability to heal. And then in terms of putting things on it, doctor, it depends if you can use non-sterile dressings, but there's a couple of things that are very good for helping skin to heal. Dr. Delish Clare does a healing cream and she's got St. John's wort oil in there and there's comfrey in there. And those two herbs actually encourage the skin to knit back together very, very well. So that's certainly one I could recommend. Again, we spoke about colloidal silver earlier. That's great to keep the area um, disinfected, uh, very safe to put on. And then the last thing I'd suggest is honey. Uh, A good quality honey uh, can help hugely speed up healing. And you can get Medi honey now that is suitable even if you need to use sterile dressings. Um, You'll get probably, maybe not in a pharmacy, but definitely in a health store. And in fact, you can even get Medi honey in a tube um, as a salve that you can put on. So I'd try a couple of those different things and hopefully something, something will work. work. Okay, listen, have a great week and we'll chat to you next Thanks, Monday. Patricia. Thanks for that. That's Annalise Drussell, uh, Health Hub, Times Square in Ballincollig. And Annalise will put up all of the information we spoke about today on her website this afternoon as heard on the radio, healthhubstore.com. Just a couple of quick texts and calls. Uh, in Eileen's on her way to Cork. She said it's taken her 50 minutes to go four kilometres. She said the traffic is slow the other way uh, as well. 
as we were getting reports in a very slow traffic from Mallow to Cork but it works the other way Cork to Mallow as well there's road works so just be aware of that uh, Hi uh, Patricia this was listening to uh, Sheila's email about that elderly woman and the daughter and the granddaughter kind of roaring at her to get out of uh, the way Kevin says I hope with all my heart that I'm completely wrong here and that that elderly lady was being taken out to town for the day I would hate to think that she was only been taken to the post office so somebody could take her pension away from her. I know of an elderly gentleman who's treated exactly the same. Oh, that's heartbreaking, isn't it? That's from uh, Kevin. Brian in a scheme when we're talking about lack of services in rural areas. Brian has a catheter fitted and sometimes it can get blocked. He's phoned Southstock on numerous occasions and they can't come out to him. He's got to get into the car. He's to go to Bantry over an hour away and he's 86 years of age. Isn't that shocking? Fiona reacting to the who was the listener who contacted us uh, about going into the car park and paying for the car park in the Afida uh, clinic. Anyway, Fiona has been on to say if that's the car park in the Elysian and it is that that gentleman is talking about same thing happened to me last week. I ended up paying twice to get out uh, because I thought maybe I'd done something wrong uh, the first time and the barrier didn't come up. I ended up asking in the medical centre and in Aldi and both said sorry we don't own the car park so we're not responsible. In the end a girl working in Aldi opened it with her fob it ended up costing me 10 euro in parking charges and can we wish a quick 80th birthday to Michael Ford of Cullen from Michael, Michelle and Joe and they've sent us a text from Sweden to say hope you're enjoying the celebration or it's not Sweden from Sydney hoping that Michael Ford is enjoying his day oh, OK that's ready for today thanks to Bernie who produced Nick Richter for the afternoon